Today, we're going to continue in our study, Passing Through, because we've talked about that you and I are, as Peter would say it, sojourners, pilgrims. We're just passing through in this life. There is something more that is there for us, we know, that beyond this life, there is eternity with Christ and all of the blessings that flow from that, and that while we're here in this life, in the difficulties of this life, and this life is difficult, and this life has struggles, this life has defeats, this life has heartaches, we're only here for a moment. And there's something so much more that is awaiting us. But yet we are here, so how do we live here? But the problem is, can I be honest with you? The problem is, is that for a lot of believers, we're deceived. We've been deceived by lies. We've embraced lies in our life concerning about right now. For some ways, we, we actually think that now that I'm saved, I can just go on and do whatever I want to do. And in many ways, how many of you have ever read the book of Judges? Have you read the book of Judges in the Old Testament? There's a, there's a common statement in the book of Judges, and it says this, and every man did what was right in their own eyes. You know what? If we could describe Christianity today in North America... I think that statement would probably fit us all. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. In fact, if you try to talk to somebody today and you say to them, you know, I don't think you should be doing that as a Christian, the first thing that would come out of their mouth, what are you, some kind of legalist? Who are you to tell me what to do? And we've embraced this radical individualism as far as our Christian lives and how we're to respond and how we're to act. I can, I can just do whatever I want to do because here's the big one. I'm forgiven. Jesus forgives me. Like that covers it all. Actually, when you say those kind of things, when you say you can do whatever you want to do, you are revealing that if you're a believer that you're deceived. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to give you two things I want you to think about here when we talk about being deceived. Number one, we have cheapened the Christian life. We have cheapened the Christian life. In fact, we've become like the bumper stickers. It's kind of like bumper sticker Christianity. You know what I mean by bumper sticker Christianity? You ever seen the cars driving by? They're going really fast. They're breaking the law, but they got that nice little fish symbol on the back or that bumper sticker, and, and they'll say things like this. Here's, here's one. Here's a the lie that we've embraced. Christians aren't perfect. They're forgiven. Have you seen that one? I just want to smash into their bumper and rip it off. I'm just being honest with you. How stupid is that? I mean, it is stupid. Well, it's truth. Yeah, but the way it's being communicated is very flippant. And it's almost like an excuse for how you're acting. An excuse for what you're doing that might be wrong. See, we've cheapened the Christian life. 
And, and, I, and I can explain to you why we've cheapened it. We've cheapened the Christian life because we don't truly understand the Christian life. We don't understand our salvation. We don't understand what Jesus did for us, what it cost him. We don't understand the investment that God made in us. We are, can I be acting, can I tell you what we're acting like? We're acting like spoiled children. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever been to Walmart? Walked by the toy section? I've seen this number of times. Usually when I walk by there, there's some kid on the, on the ground crying, Oh, the toy! I'll never forget it, being in the Walmart, and a little guy wanted two G.I. Joes. And the mommy's like, well, we don't have time or money right now for two G.I. Joes. I want two G.I. Joes! I want what I want! And then finally she breaks down and says, well, you can have one. But he kept on crying and screaming because he wanted what? Two. And then ultimately, to my shock, and thankfully I was walking away, she said what? All right, you can have them. And I know some of you are like, boy, I can't believe she did that. She's probably bearing the consequences of that now. Yeah, you know what? Here's the thing, though. But isn't that our perception of God? God, I want to do this! I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven! I'm free! I can do whatever I want to do! Who are you to tell me? I know you're God, but I want to do what I want to do! You forgive me! We're like spoiled children. And we've cheapened the Christian life. Here's the other thing. We've embraced the lie of a loving, permissive God. That's what I was just talking about earlier. We've embraced the lie of a loving, permissive God. Now you say, wait a minute now, George. It's not a lie that God is loving. God is love. Yes, God is love. But God is also just. It's the next thing that is a lie. Loving is an adjective. We have this concept that God allows us to do whatever we want, that he's permissive, and that's loving. Friends, being permissive sometimes is not loving. In fact, I have a lot of parents here. Sometimes you have to say no because you what? Love them, right? Sometimes you know that permissiveness isn't love. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes love is tough because you see further down the road what is going to happen in their life if they go down that path. But see, we've got this concept that God is like that. We've got this concept that he just lets me do whatever I want him to let me do and I can just go to him and whip out my forgiveness card and say, well, Jesus paid it all and I'm forgiven. I just need to confess my sins. And in fact, that's what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Yeah, but you're missing a whole lot of what, what the Bible says very same book talks about if you act in a certain way, then the truth is what? Not in you. 
We've been deceived. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I just need to help you to understand what I'm saying. Because you might be saying there, well, that's awfully nice of you, George. You're telling me that I've been lied to and I've embraced a lie. Like you're perfect. No, I'm not perfect, folks. I'm going to tell you right now, you've been deceived and I've been deceived. We've deceived ourselves with a concept of God that is not biblical. Period. I've embraced it. You've embraced it. So I was reading, because you know me, I preach through books, so I'm reading these next few verses. And God slaps me upside the head. And believe me, folks, he needs to sometimes. So I want you to read with me what he says. Here's what he says, verse 17. And if you call on the Father, okay, stop for a moment, who is that? You and I. Because we call on the Father in what? Prayer, right? If you're a believer here, you believe God the Father is your Father, right? Am I correct? Not enough coffee flowing here this morning. Are we correct? Yeah, yeah. all right, listen. So if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout your time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Wow. What's he saying there? Well, I'm going to tell you what he's saying there. I'm going to bring it down to a level that all of us can understand. He's talking about our responsibility with an investment. Now, does everybody understand an investment? You know, an investment is where you give us something and you expect a return, right? So, for instance, some of you maybe have 401k plans, maybe some of you have an IRA, and you went to your financial planner, and he put it in stocks, or he put it in mutual funds, and, and you're hoping for a return on your 401k, or your IRA, or your investment, so that when you retire, you have more than just pennies, right? Isn't that what we're doing? Okay, isn't that what they tell us? Okay. And you know that every year, the people you invested your money to have a fiduciary duty to you to be what? Responsible with your what? Investment. So there are certain things that they can do, and there are certain things that they can't do with your investment. Everybody understands that, right? God made an investment in you. You. You, little old you. He made a major investment in you. And because of that investment, 
He requires something from you. But see, a lot of us aren't even aware of that. We just thought he just gave us this blanket forgiveness and freedom that we can do whatever we want to do. I can just whip out my forgiveness card and I'm okay, but God made an investment into you. In fact, that's what he's saying here in these verses. He's saying I made an investment. The investment I made was called, is called Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus, there's something I need from you. So let's look to it, look at it together. We're going to take these verses and we're going to divide it up into two sections. We're going to look first of all at verse 17. We're going to see the investment responsibility that we have. We're going to see the responsibility with the investment in verse 17. And then we're going to see the investment that was made. We're redeemed. We're going to see that in verses 18 through 21. So let's talk about the responsibility. Let me read to you verse 17 again. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So here's what he's saying. I can break, take this verse and bring to you three statements that hopefully will open up your mind like it opened up my mind this week. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, identifying as a believer requires that you live a certain way. Oh, there you go, George. All right, I knew we were heading there. We're heading to the legalism thing, and we're heading to the bondage of years ago where you can't go to, to the theater, and you can't go over here to this restaurant because it has alcohol, or I can't even go in Snappies now because Snappies is selling beer. Can't go to Sheets now and get my Sheets muffin or whatever because they're selling beer there now. I, we're getting back to that legalism thing again, aren't we, George? Isn't that what you're talking about? No, I'm not talking about that at all. I am not talking about legalism. I'm talking about how God wants you to live. That's something completely different. See, because you can do all that legalistic stuff and still not live for God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can do all that legalistic stuff and still not live for God. What are you talking about, George? Listen, folks. I've been a believer now since 1985, 33 years in my earlier years, I was in the Independent Baptist Church. And in the Independent Baptist Church, I met some folks who kept it right down to the line. They had their hair the right size. They wore the right, carried the right Bible, wore the right clothes, didn't go to the wrong places. And I'm going to tell you something. They were the meanest, miserable people I've ever met in my life. Some of them were downright evil. So you can do the legalism thing and not be right and not live the way God wants you to live. See, identifying as a believer. How do I know that he's saying that? He says, if you call on the Father. It's an implied reality here. An if-then statement is an, is, is an implied reality. And the implied reality here is, is that if you call on him, 
you are required by the one you call on to live a certain way. You, whether you realize it or not, and for a lot of folks they don't realize it because they're doing what judges says, they're living, what, doing what's right in their own eyes. Folks, it's not a question of doing what you think is right. It's a question of doing what God thinks is right. Do you understand? That's what the bottom line is. Identifying as a believer requires that you live a certain way. Now, why do I do that? Well, isn't it interesting? Look at what he says here. Very next statement. He's trying to help you to understand who this father is that you have. Look at what he says there in verse 17. And if you call on the Father, now here's what he says about the Father, who, without partiality, judges according to each one's work. Whoa. Here's what he says. You are accountable to God who judges everyone impartially. You are accountable to God. Here, you know what? The, the concept of doing whatever you want to do and doing what's right in your own eyes, and I can do whatever I'm forgiven now. Can I be honest with you? That is such a flippant attitude to have that fails to recognize a central truth of the Bible is that every human being is ultimately accountable to God, period. And that includes believers. Just because you've embraced salvation doesn't mean that you can just go do whatever you want to do now. You're still accountable to God. Well, I'm not going to hell! Yeah, you're not going to hell. But that doesn't mean he doesn't hold you accountable. In fact, the Bible has many chapters where he talks about, okay, you're not going to hell, but I'll discipline you right now. And have you ever experienced the disciplining hand of God in your life? I have. It ain't pleasant. Do you understand? Well, I thought he was loving. He is loving. And sometimes the loving father disciplines his children. What? For their own sake. Isn't that why we discipline children? We don't discipline children just because we're reacting to what they're doing. We discipline them because we're, we love them and we're hoping to what? Mold them into being an adult. Do you understand? God is wanting to mold us into being who he wants us to be. The believer that we need to be. And you're accountable to him. You're accountable to God. And here's the interesting thing. I think he's making the point of the accountability because it says he judges without what? Partiality. Because you might say, well, I'm his child. <clears throat> yeah. Like that's going to change something? When the Bible says very clearly, he judges everyone the same, the unbeliever and the believer. So don't you see now why that bumper sticker is so so ridiculous? No, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Should add an addendum. I should come up with another sticker and stick it on there. Yes, forgiven, but we're paying the consequences of our stupidity. God disciplines us. And you're accountable. 
and 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 and, and, and can I can I help you with that? Because I'm sure somebody's here is like, whoa, what do you mean I'm a count? Listen, folks, nobody can just go do what they want to do. You're accountable. I'm accountable. Nobody lives without accountability. Nobody. And every one of us is accountable. And because of that, you need to see that as you go to the Father as a believer, you need to recognize that he holds me accountable. And I have this responsibility. So that brings up the third point here. Look at the last part of verse 17. Look at what he says there. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. All right, now what's he saying there? He's talking about how you live your life, how you act, how you treat other people, how you, everything about your conduct while you are here, your stay here. What's he talking about? He's talking about your life here until you go to be with Jesus. He's talking about if you are going to live your life, you need to live your life here while you're here in fear. What does that mean? A reverential fear. A fear of God. Now, I've met people who are like, oh, okay, oh, I shouldn't be scared of God. Actually, I think it's about time some of us would get scared of God. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I've told you about my daddy. I'm going to be honest with you. I was scared of my daddy. Was he abusive, dad? No, my dad wasn't abusive. He just held me what? Accountable. And when you're held accountable, you don't do things simply because you don't want to get in what? Trouble. And back then, if I got in trouble with the teacher and the call went home and said, you know, George was not doing right in gym class today, and the gym teacher had to take him in the back and give him a swat with the paddle, it didn't end there. I got home and got what? Swatted because the gym teacher had to swat me and the principal had to call and that was embarrassing and you don't act that way. A lot of you know what I'm talking about. You've been swatted, so you know. Right? So there was the next time I went to school, I was afraid of how I was acting with the gym teacher, with the principal, and with my dad. And that kept you in what? Check. Conduct yourself in fear. So here's the point. Here's what I'm saying. While you're living here in this world, you must control yourself in fear. Fear of God. All right, so let me, you know, let's, let's talk the silliness aside about being swatted in school aside. What does that mean? Well, here, I'm going to explain to you what it means. It means that you go throughout your day and instead of going with the flow, remember we talked about going with the flow last week and about not going with the flow and making a choice to live the way God wants you to live? Well, when you're not going with the flow, you're going to go throughout the week and you're going to say to yourself, do I really want to do this? Because he'll know about it. Do I really want to do this because he'll keep me accountable? And nothing escapes his sight. 
How do I know that nothing escapes his sight? Folks, if you know Jesus, who lives within you? The Holy Spirit. Now, who's the Holy Spirit? God. So, by the way, who's there with you? David says, where can I go from your presence? If I go down to hell, you're there. If I go over here, you're there. Where can I go? God, I can't escape your presence. While you're living in this world, you have to live, you must control yourself in fear, fear of God. Now, why? Why do I do that? Because somebody's going to say, well, you know, all right, I hear it, but that's just oppressive. That's oppressive, George. That's, I mean, I thought we have freedom. Actually, there's no such thing as total freedom. I'm just going to be honest with you. Well, wait a minute, all in America, we have freedom. No, no, sometimes your freedom becomes your slavery. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason why I do what he's telling me to do here is what he now tells me in verses 18 through 21. It's because somebody made an investment for you. It's because somebody died for you. So I'm going to give you three more statements here about why the responsibility. Why the responsibility? Look with me. First of all, verse 18 knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Here's the first thing. There is nothing you can do for your salvation. All right. When he uses the word redeemed here, I think we all understand that word, but let me explain it to you from the biblical writer's standpoint. When we talk about being redeemed, we're talking about being you and I being on a slave market. It's kind of a debtor slave market. We owed a big price. And so therefore we were slaves. We were headed to hell. And the reason why we were headed to hell, the reason why we were indebted is because we are sinners. You sin, I sin. And so because of our sin, we were headed, destined to, heading to hell. But somebody in his great love redeemed us. That is, they bought us. They paid our debt. They removed the shame and the guilt. They gave us forgiveness. They redeemed us from where we were going. And they gave us a new life. Now, he's making the point here in verse 18, what you already know, there was nothing that you could do to redeem yourself. You know, I hear this all the time. Well, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. Really? You don't know the price of your bad deeds. And you can never outweigh 
no matter how perfect you are. In fact, can I tell you how stupid that is? That is stupid. Why? Because you and I sin without even knowing that we sin. The Bible says that we sin what? Ignorantly. Unintentionally. So it'll never outweigh it. There's nothing you can do. No amount of money can buy it. No amount of family status. Some people think, well, I'm going to make those my parents have always been in church. Big deal. It's about your faith and what he's done for you. There is nothing you can do for your salvation. Nothing. So he did it for you. In fact, that's what we see here in verse 19 and 20. Look with me. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish, without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Here's the, sec here's the second statement about being redeemed. You were redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Listen, folks. I have a responsibility to God with how I live because Jesus died for me. He took the punishment for me. He took it for you. And you didn't even ask him for it. I didn't even ask him for it. He did it because he loved us. I was headed to hell. And he reached out in 1985, in April of 1985, and he saved me. He opened my heart and my mind to the gospel. And I embraced him by faith. You, whatever day it was with you, you did the same. And it had nothing to do with you folks. It had to do with what Jesus had done for you. You were redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ. So here's the final point I want you to see. Jesus Christ is the basis of belief and hope. He is the basis for belief and hope. So the hope that I have later on is because of Jesus. What do you mean because of Jesus? Because he died for you. The hope that I have that I'm saved now, that I have forgiveness, is because of who? Because of Jesus. Because he died for me. Now, do you think we have a responsibility with how we live our lives? Hey, listen. I think you can relate to this. I come into this situation all the time. You do too. You ever done something for somebody? I mean, you went out of your way to do something for somebody. They needed you at that moment to take care of whatever it was, and you did it. Maybe it was a hardship, but you did it because you what? You loved them. So you did it for them. But here's what happens. So you save them. I see this happening a lot of times with parents with children who are in addiction situations. Out of love, they'll do whatever, and they'll do, and then what happens is, it's almost like the investment you made for them, you saving their neck at that right moment, at that time, they don't appreciate it later on. 
And how do you feel? I almost guarantee you how you feel. I felt that way. Anger. Like you're not being respected, number one. Number two, you're not being what? Appreciated. We can all relate to that, right? Can we not relate to that? Got to change the brand of coffee here. Can we all relate to that? Yes, yes, we can, right? And listen to me. When you cheapen your Christian life and you're doing like Judges says, you're doing what is right in your own eyes, how do you think that makes God feel when he gave your, his son for to die for you on a cross? And all he says is, you have a responsibility to me. You have a responsibility to me. You say, that's a hard word, George. Yeah, but you know what? We used to talk like that a long time ago, right? We did. You're advocating legalism. No, I'm not. We don't need to go back there. We don't need to go back to telling you what you can and cannot do. You have the Holy Spirit who will guide you, but you need to be sensitive to him to what? Where you listen to what he tells you to do. But you do have a responsibility and you are accountable. So here's two thoughts. Number one, here's the first one. This may shock you. You must acknowledge that you never had the freedom to do what you want. You never had the freedom to do what you want. Oh yes, George, I can do whatever I want to do and I can stop whenever I want that. I used to remember hearing uh, hearing someone in my life tell me that. I can stop drinking whenever I want. I'm stopping right now. Hour later, they decided to drink again. There's no such thing as freedom, folks. Because when you were not with Christ, Ephesians chapter 2 says that you were led by three things. What? By your own flesh, by this world, and by Satan. You did what those three things told you to do. And you were dead in Christ, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. You never had freedom. And even now you don't have freedom. Why? Because you are responsible. You are accountable to who? With how you live your life. Who? God. God. You're accountable. You're accountable. You know that in society. Nobody has the freedom to what? Just tear down the road here at 100 miles an hour through town. Nobody has that. Now you maybe could get away with it, but if the cop is there, you what? Won't. You must acknowledge that you don't have the freedom to do what you want to do. So here's what you're going to do. You must place your life under Jesus' lordship. You need to go to him because you call on him and say, Lord, first of all, forgive me for being deceived and just doing what I wanted to do. Because I know in my heart you've been telling me not to. 
See, isn't that the interesting thing? Even though you've been doing what you want to do, and even though you know it's not necessarily something that God has not been happy with, he's been telling you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit who lives within you, what? Convicts you. The Holy Spirit tells you, don't do this. So you go to him, and you confess to him, and you say, Lord, I want to live accountable to you. I want to do what you want me to do because you died for me. And so I place my life in your hands. Which, by the way, that's not a scary thing. Because who's looking out for you? Well, nobody's looking out for me. No, no. Who's really looking out for you? If you belong to God, who's looking out for you? God is. And he's always going to want what's what? best for your life, right? So you have to place your life under his lordship. Something to think about. Let me pray for you.